At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. All right, let's get this podcast rolling. Today we have a reoccurring guest. That guest is Trevor Matthews. He's from Emerson. He was on the podcast a few months back discussing what did we discuss again we discussed core sense technology um, compressor protection that's what we discussed so if you guys want to hop back a few podcasts i don't know maybe 10 podcasts ago you'll find that one pretty good information in that podcast as well so today we're going to talk about digital compressors because they can be intimidating um, to some if you haven't worked on them before. And if you walk up to them for the first time, you might think that they're not working properly because they ramp up and down and they're constantly changing sound. So you might think there's something wrong with it. But really, that's the way it's supposed to work. So Trevor and I are going to discuss that topic on today's podcast. The other thing I was going to mention is I made a quick video today, um, put it on Facebook and in Instagram of an auxiliary contact that attaches to the side of a contactor. If you guys haven't seen these in the field, I'm going to tell you about them real quick and you can shoot over and watch the video on one of the platforms. It's very short, less than a minute. So basically you have a contactor. Okay. And if you want to control like a crankcase heater, you want to control power to it. This is what you do. You attach an auxiliary contact to the side of it. Okay. And usually they have a normally open or normally closed switch. Sometimes they have both. So you attach it to the side, you run normally closed, um, you run it through the normally closed switch. And when that contactor pulls in, what happens is that switch opens. So when the contactor pulls in, the compressor's running, the switch opens, the crankcase heater loses power. Now that's how you utilize an auxiliary contact. There's many other uses for it, but that is the one that I see the most common. So we're going to get into this podcast, Digital Scrolls. Here we go. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. During the podcast, you're going to hear me talk about a pinch-off tool, and you'll understand why when we get to that part of the podcast and that part of the discussion. I scrolled through True Tech Tools' website because I wanted to see if they had one, and they do. It's made by CPS. Okay, so check it out. Um, just over 10 bucks, guys. Very, very cheap, and it can come in handy for a lot of different situations. And also save the additional 8% with promo code KNOWITALL. And guys, the Testo stuff, there's no promo code. You have to sign up for the preferred Testo pricing link, and then once you sign in to your TrueTech Tools account, you see the preferred Testo pricing. When you sign out, that pricing is much higher. So you have to be a member and you got to sign up on the link for the preferred Tesla pricing. Link will be in the podcast notes as always. I 
I hope you guys saw the post I made the other day. Well, last night. But when you listen to this, it's probably further removed than that. But Tesla's having a uh, pretty cool spring promo. You purchase a digital manifold set, the 560, the 557, the 570. You get a pretty badass Weeha tool bag that has um, needle nose pliers. It has side cutters and it also has three screwdrivers a number two phillips um i believe it's a three mil slot and a 4.5 mil slot it's a really cool tool set um the value of that i think is around 100 bucks you get that for free with the purchase of those manifolds all right um speaking of yellow jacket stuff you guys need to know something here Yellow Jacket has a vacuum coupler, and if you go into a, a supplier with the Yellow Jacket wall and all their stuff is hanging up there, that's where you'll usually find it. That coupler, basically what it does, it's, it's on a bit of an angle. It allows you to keep your, um, your micron gauge upright so you're not getting contaminants inside of it. So everybody that posts their vacuum setups, if you're using a micron gauge that can't um, be upright on its own, it doesn't have that angle built into it, Guys, I want to see those vacuum couplers being utilized. It's going to prevent you from having to clean those out. It's going to prevent you from having headaches on the job when your your um, micron gauge gets f full of crap. It might not read properly, and it's going to set you back on the job a little bit. So vacuum coupler, very, very important to keep your micron gauge upright. So guys, as I was telling you, HVAC Know-It-All and NAVAC is entered into a relationship to showcase some of their products and I'm awaiting some tools. Okay. I'm awaiting some tools to come to me so I can go through them one by one, show you them, um, how they work, so on and so forth. But in the meantime, the really cool vacuum pump, kind of a, an industry changing thing is there two CFM vacuum pump battery powered. Uh, my pal AKH vac that's been on the podcast who now, um, who now is a, a, a sales rep for Navac. He has actually done a super cool video a few months back using the 2CFM battery-powered vacuum pump, pulling down a system in 17 minutes. He used the True Blue um, hoses as well with that. So you guys got to go check that video out, AKHVAC, his YouTube channel. Very good videos, guys, specifically that video, so you can see the performance of that pump. Now, all week, I've been cleaning evaporators, drains, drain pans, um, refrigerator, refrigeration technologies was right by my side the whole time. Um, Viper coil cleaner and an aerosol can and also pan and drain treatment when I was done to treat the drain pans. Okay. Basically you coat the last two rows or the bottom two rows of the evap coil and the entire pan. Um, it helps to break down sludge any crap that's in there, and it creates a slippery surface for any of that to move down the drain um, easily and not get caught up. So very cool stuff. So yesterday I got a message from somebody on Facebook Messenger, okay, through the Facebook, uh, the Facebook HVAC Know-It-All page. What they sent me was um, AC Smart Seal External for the win. So what they did is the U-Bend on a coil, all right, it was leaking in a really, um, really bad spot, according to the person that sent it over. So they used AC Smart Seal External. They covered up the leak on the U-Bend, and it held 250 PSI for an hour, 
It fixed the leak. And now they've ordered up the new Avap coil. I believe it was an Avap coil. They're, they ordered it up and they're going to change it out when it arrives. So another success story using AC Smart Seal external um, in a jam. Okay. So you guys got to check it out. It really does work and it gets you out of a jam and it's gotten many guys out of a jam time and time again. So like I mentioned, guys, Field Pulse, they're leaving as a sponsor as the end of March. Okay. But right now they're still with us. So guys, go check out their stuff. Fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know it all. Just to clarify, guys, that Testo promo was the 550, the 557, and the 570. I said 560, the 560 earlier. Um, sorry about that. I apologize. Trevor, welcome back, man. How you been? I've been great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I know that uh, you're a busy guy because I uh, I follow you on or I follow your escapades on on LinkedIn and and uh, you got a lot of cool pictures on there with with the training that you're up to and and sort of events or seminars or conferences I guess um, everything in between. You're just a busy guy. So um, you were on the podcast a few months back and we talked about. Um, the core sense, right? That's what you and I discussed. So, yeah. Um, since then, what have you been up to, man? Well, we've been up to a lot of stuff at Emerson, which has been really good. We've been um, doing tons of trainings, as you see. And thank you very much uh, uh, for keeping keeping an eye on what we're doing. I really appreciate that. I just want to say thank you to all your uh, fans as well who's listening tonight. <laughs> really, what it, it, uh, when you said fans, it made me giggle. That's all. Yeah, I'm all followers. I guess. What do you call them these the, days? Uh, I just call them. They're, they're the audience because they're, they're listening. The right on. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, um, what uh, what we've been up to? What I've been up to is really uh, uh, promoting our trainings, uh, stepping it up a notch. Uh, we've done over 40 trainings this year for customers. Um, I actually did one yesterday on electronics uh, with a, a group of great mechanics. Um, and we have people coming from all over the world, really, to come into Canada to our training facility, which is really cool. Um, and tonight we'll be talking about digital compressors. And we did go through a lot of that yesterday with uh, with the group, so it was really, uh, really good. We've got some great trainings coming up in the next few weeks. Um, we've got a natural refrigerant training coming up uh, April 10th and 11th. We have a Vilter industrial training coming up on the... I believe 15th, 16th, 17th of April. So lots of great stuff next week. A need to training uh, at our facility. So um, lots of things on the go at Emerson and just trying to um, satisfy the customer because everybody is looking for trainings. I am getting emails on a daily basis uh, for uh, customers looking for training. So that's really awesome. Well, I mean, that says a lot about you guys that, Techs are coming from all over the world for your training. That that speaks volumes because nobody's going to waste their time and money to come to training that is is junk. So obviously you guys are putting on a good show for, for these techs and educating them well because the word is obviously getting out that you guys are doing a fantastic job over there. So um, I applaud you guys for that. Um, you know what Thank though? You. I have to I have to talk you up because 
I don't remember the exact name of the certificate, but you just were awarded some sort of achievement or certificate and you posted it on LinkedIn and you got a lot of, uh, got a lot of likes and a lot of comments on that. What was that? Oh, thank you, Gary. Yeah. I just have been certified as a training and development, um, professional in Canada. So I've been working really hard to be very professional at training and, uh, really bring it to the next level for the customers. Um, I have a really strong background, technical background, uh, and I want to make sure that, uh, and Emerson wants to make sure they're really, really supporting me behind this to make sure we're delivering what our customers are looking for, you know, and, and it, um, it's definitely coming a long way. Uh, and, uh, never thought I would be a, a trainer, to be honest with you, Gary, but it's, I feel like it's suiting me very well. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you seem to really enjoy it and, uh, you get to travel around a bit and, and meet some really great people, um, in the industry. So, so that's, that's also cool. Um, did you go to the educators conference in Vegas uh, a little while ago? Yeah, I was out there. I've been there last three years, I believe. Uh, they put on a really good show for educators. It is definitely growing. I believe there was over 800 uh, educators this year. So um, it's a three-day event. It was hosted at the South Point Hotel by a, uh, the group called the NESCO Group, and it's called HVACR Excellence. Um, met a lot of good uh, trainers across North America there. They do a lot of great sessions with some of the biggest OEMs uh, uh, around the world. Uh, and it's a really good spot to, uh, to learn, right? And I go there to participate as well as learn uh, to, to make sure I'm current uh, with what's going on in the industry. Cool. When, when, you, uh, when you walked by Rick Resigno, did you fist bump him when you were there? <laughs> the, the, I think there was the, a lot of fist bumping going on at the conference. No, Rick, Rick was Rick. Uh, he's also an educator. He works out of Link. Um, he works at Lincoln Tech as a uh, as a teacher or or a professor. I don't know his exact title, but he's an educator and he teaches HVAC. Um, and he was at the uh, educators conference as well, and, and he had a lot of good things to say about it. Hello. Yeah, it's a great. Oh, yeah, you there. Okay. Great, yeah, yeah, it's a great event. Um, and like I said, we'll continue. Uh, we will continue, and I will continue to go there because it's a great place to network, as well as you really educate yourself. Sweet, cool, awesome. So, into the into into tonight's topic, the the digital scroll compressor. Um, a lot of people, or a lot of techs, I should say are a little intimidated by it and I would like to try to break that intimidation by just doing a little bit of education on the digital scroll. Um, but before I think we talk about, like, like I told you before we got onto the podcast, if we could try to keep it as basic as possible for um, the beginners, but I, I enjoy, like I've been in the trade for over 20 years and I enjoy basic learning and basic conversation because it kind of brings it back to fundamentals and fundamentals is to me uh obviously the base of all education because if, if you know the fundamentals you can take um you, you can go anywhere and do, and do anything as long as you have a base so starting with digital scrolls let's talk about a scroll compressor first um just for a couple minutes just to set the tone how does a scroll compressor work 
Okay, so um, basically for the, the way a scroll works, it has um, a stationary or fixed scroll, which is the top one, and an orbiting scroll. And the way they work, there's a, the motors below it, and it has a stator with a crankshaft up the middle. Um, as the compressor powers up, the bottom orbiting scroll orbits back and forth. It doesn't spin 365, it just orbits back and forth, compressing, continuously compressing gas through the scroll, uh, scroll flanks. Uh, so the suction gas comes into the side of the compressor, cool gas. As it compresses, it compresses out through the center of the scroll set, uh, out the discharge, out of the top. So that's the, the basics of how uh, scroll scroll works. So um, what it has inside it, um, it, it works in two different compliance ways. There's an axial compliance where it separates up and down, and a radial compliance left to right. And so. When the compressor is engaged, um, there's a floating seal on the top of the fixed stationary scroll. And when power starts the scroll, they load up. So the discharge pressure pushes down on this floating seal. There's internal pressure pushing up on the floating seal to balance it out. Yep. And they, um, they load up, so they're together. So then they st it starts to pump, the compressor pumps. Um, and that's, then you'll see your gauges when it's say 150 PSI each, then you'll see your suction drop and your discharge start to rise. Awesome. So um, scroll technology has been out now for what? 25, uh, 25 years yeah. or so? 1987 uh, Copeland launched scroll compressors. We've sold over 150 million scrolls worldwide, um, and we're one of the leaders in the scroll technologies uh, globally. Oh, I, I would I would say I, I would say the leader because I, every single piece of equipment I go into has an Emerson or a Copeland scroll in it. So, I mean, that that that's just it, it's very rare that I see a different compressor when it comes to scroll. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. So. Um, so stepping up to the digital scroll first, what are we going to use a digital scroll for? Like what sort of application are we going to use it in? So really uh, anywhere where you want to load match a system. So anywhere you want some better capacity control. Um, uh, you might've did some podcasts potentially on hot gas bypass where um, you bypass gas into an evaporator to keep the system running, to load it up so it, it continually runs. So it's a capacity control. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think I did a, an article and a, and a YouTube video on it. I think that's what it was. Oh, awesome. Okay, so uh, it's similar to that. Really, you want to make sure um, that the system can match, the compressor can match the system loads. So a lot of changing loads in a system, fluctuating loads, uh, that's where you'd want to use uh, a digital scroll. Anything that's fixed, uh, you wouldn't want to go with a digital scroll, right? Yes. If you have fixed load, you want to go with a fixed compressor. If you have a varying load system, um, for example, a multiple compressor application like a rack, 
there's a there's a huge benefit of using that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my good analogy is is that if you have an auditorium with a thousand people that come in, warm you know the load increases immensely. So you have to size that system for that load. But everybody leaves that building. You still need to maintain the the climate or the comfort cooling in that building. Now there's nobody in there. The load drops off. Your compressor would just your system would just pump down. So you add it either hot gas bypass, which we used to do, but now you could add um, digital compressor to an application like that. Cool, cool, awesome. So there's. Um... There's some extra parts included in a digital scroll, correct? Um, for, from my experience, anyway. Um, so, so what extra parts are, are are needed? Because we don't use a traditional TX valve, right? Well, you can. Oh, you, you can. can. Okay. Digital, yeah. So, like for example, if you put a digital scroll on a rack and you have 200 cases in a supermarket, we'll say, they would most likely have all TX valves. Okay. Um, if you're doing one to one, I would or like a, um, a braised plate heat exchanger, for example, to one compressor, I would highly recommend going with an electronic valve with uh, one of our controllers called an EC3D72, which is a synchronized controller, and we can talk about that in a little bit. But it controls the digital comp- and the electronic valve. But if you have like a small um, mini mart, for example, and you have like a couple boxes and a couple cases and a condensing unit. Uh, you could use a digital compressor with TX valves, um, and it would work. Okay. We have many applications like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, in my experience, I've always seen it with uh, the uh, that the superheat controller that you mentioned previ- pre- previously. Yeah. Um, DC3, so D72. Yeah, excellent controller. Yeah, um, and then it ties in um, actually down at the operator or the operator's desk or the facilities manager. He can he can get into that controller from his computer and, and make changes to it. So which which is also pretty cool. Yep. Um, so as as far as the digital scroll, then so how how does it work? How does it operate differently from the traditional scroll? Okay. So the way the digital scroll works, it really, it, it works similar to uh, a scroll. All it does, it loads and unloads. That's what the compressor really does on, on time. So we call it pulse width modulation. Uh, but really what it is, uh, it has a, a cycle, a time cycle. So we'll say it's a 20 second cycle. Uh, and we have two variations of digital scrolls. We have the external piping uh, digital scroll, which you might have seen before, mm-hmm. where it has uh, from the top of the discharge, it has a, a pipe going to a solenoid into the suction line. Yes, that's so right. That's our external right. piping. There, that's about a three-ton to a ten-ton compressor. And what that one does, that style, um, when there is an unloading uh, call or a capacity call to unload. Uh, you have a normally closed solenoid that gets energized to open up, which bypasses discharge gas into the suction. So remember I talked about a scroll earlier where the discharge pressure uh, helps seat the stationary scroll or push the fixed scroll down. Yep. 
um, really it, it releases that pressure, separates the scrolls by about one mil, and unloads. So the compressor is still running, but it's not pumping, not doing any work. Exactly. Uh, and then when it activates, calls for loading in, it, it engages and loads up. And so really if it's a 10 seconds loaded, 10 seconds unloaded, you have 50% capacity. Makes sense, yeah. And there's actually, um, there's actually, you guys have a couple of good YouTube videos. Um, it, it's animated and it shows like the red and the blue where the gases are. And it shows that solenoid that you're talking about opening and closing and the color of the gas changing. And then it's showing, it's showing the, the, um, the stationary scroll and the orbiting scroll separating from each other, showing how it, the motor's still running, but there's no actual work being done. There's no pumping being done. Exactly. Yeah. So, so those, those videos are pretty cool. So anybody that's listening, all you guys got to do is hop on YouTube and type in um, Copeland digital scroll and you guys will get those, um, yep. those, those, those videos there. Um, so, so that was, that, that one you described is, is one I've worked on in the past, but you were about to describe another one, right? A, a different style. Yeah. So we have a larger, our larger model uh, scrolls, which are between eight and 15 ton compressors, which are uh, internal uh, pipe. So inside the compressor, we have, uh, we have a pipe from the discharge into uh, a solenoid on the side of the compressor. So you could look at the, the scroll uh, and you, wouldn't be able to tell it's a digital compressor. So the way to tell if you're working on a digital compressor, you have to look at the um, model number. And it would be, for an example, uh, ZBD, or for your American listeners, ZBD. So the third, third letter would be a D. And that indicates on the scrolls that it's a digital. Okay, cool. Okay? Yep. Um, and then those ones there, you'd have to take off a plastic side uh, cover off, and then you will see a solenoid right on the side of the compressor. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So and it works, it works the same way, exactly the same way, loads and un, uh, unloads uh, based on time. So what, what controls the time? Like if you're – if you're working with a, uh, a straight-up TX valve, what is controlling that compressor and telling it to load and unload? So we have controllers that are designed for our digital compressor. So we have multiple controllers. I'll talk just about a couple uh, to make it easier for, for your listeners. So we have one, one called the IDCM controller, which is the digital controller for our different digital compressors. And really what those controllers will do is modulate that solenoid valve, among other things as well, because they do have core sense technology built inside of some of them. But a signal will be sent, for an example, if it's on a rack, a, a one to five volt DC signal would be sent to that controller from, we'll say, uh, a third party controller like the, uh, an E2 or a supervisor controller to say, uh, from a suction transducer we'll say, and it will send a signal to the, the controller to say, okay, solenoid, engage, disengage, or power the solenoid uh, and remove power. And that's mm -hmm. all it's going to do is it's going to try to maintain a tight suction um, 
set point. Nice. On oh. that, for that example, mm-hmm. right? Um, the other controller I talked about uh, earlier, we talked about is the EC3D72, which is a digital synchronized controller where it controls an electronic valve and a digital compressor. And that is controlled from a third party device as well, um, a zero to 10 volt DC signal. So a tip for any of the guys that are working on um, a, uh, any one of the digital scrolls, if they're working on the IDCM controller, the black controller, they go to the, uh, um, to the input and check it. And if they have a five volt DC signal there, that means they got a hundred percent capacity. And then for the EC3D72, if they check what their capacity is, it'll be, if it's 10 volt DC, that means a hundred percent capacity, five volt DC, 50% capacity. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, so the one that, um, I had trouble with a while back was, was the type that you described first with the, the discharge line coming off the top, the solenoid yep. kind of in between and, and, and the suction going into the suction. So yep. the, the, the problem, and I, I think I've already explained this on a previous podcast, but I'll do it again since we're, we're on the topic. So I arrived to the call and I stick my gauges on cause they said it wasn't cooling properly and my pressures were almost, equalized um not quite but almost and then i looked away for a minute and then i looked back and and it's running fine and i'm like well that's kind of odd um so it was running fine i checked it all out everything seemed to be good i get a call back or or i wanted to go back because this was late in the day and i wanted to come back the next day i think it was this is very vague because this is going back to like september now um so i went back and then again it was it wasn't cooling properly and the, the pressures were equalized. And I'm like, man, um, what the heck could it be? I'm like, is it the metering device or like we pump, are we, are we pumping down? Is it a compressor? Like, so we kind of ruled out a bunch of stuff and we actually went ahead and replaced the compressor because we didn't think it was pumping. Right. Um, so the compressor went in and the same problem started to happen. Equalized pressures. <laughs> we're just, we're pulling out our hair. Right. And we went through this and that. We pulled the um, the electronic metering device out, and we had um, the building guy downstairs open and close it, open and close it. We're looking at it. We're like, yeah, it's opening and closing, opening and closing. We 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 put it back in. We might have even changed it. Um, and then this is the third day we went back because we were still having problems. And I had a dream, right? And this is funny when it's scary when you have dreams about how to fix stuff in your sleep, because it just means that HVAC doesn't leave your, your, your mind. Right. So in my dream, I'm like, you know what? I think it's that damn solenoid that's piped in with the, uh, the top and then going over the suction. So first thing I do in the morning is I grab my solenoid magnet and I go up to the compressor um, and I shove it on there and boom, the problem solved. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So the solenoid coil um, that was on there, it wasn't strong enough to, to move that solenoid. What was happening? It was sticking because there was crap stuck in it. So the solenoid coil that was on there wasn't strong enough to get past all that crap. So it was, it was getting stuck in the position, um, basically unloading all the time. And as soon as I put that solenoid magnet on, had a little bit more strength it got rid of that. It, it, it busted through that crap. So we changed out that, that whole, um, 
uh, assembly and everything was fine. So that's why those solenoid magnets are a very good troubleshooting tool. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I've seen this a lot. I've, I've taken a lot of technical calls on our digital compressors. Um, the last thing you want to do, especially with electronic valves as well, the last thing you want to do is be cutting out electronic valves and, and digital co and compressors in general, right? It's a lot of work, a lot of money. Um, some of the things that uh, you can do, and I've seen, you want to make sure um, that the compressor is fully loaded when you want to do a test on it to make sure it's pumping, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing is to do is to uh, increase um, or fully load it by either putting, giving it a 10-volt DC signal on that controller that you're doing and see if it starts to pump. Because if you did put your gauges on and it's loading and unloading, you're, it is going to, the pressures are going to start to equalize, right? Because it is disengaged. Mm -hmm. So when your gauge is on a digital compressor and it's loading and unloading, you're going to see your pressures up and down, up yep. and down. They'll be moving all over the place, right? Yeah, you're right. Yep. So what you want to do is make sure it's fully loaded. So either, yeah, give it a 10-volt DC signal and then check your gauges and then see if they are uh, your discharge is high and your, your suction is lower, right, mm -hmm. than what they are. If it isn't now and you know the compressor is not overheating because they're inside certain compressors if they're overheating or your compression ratio is too high, and it's a whole other topic, compression ratio. If your compression ratio is too high, it's going to unseat the, uh, the floating seal and separate the scrolls. Mm -hmm. But if you know... It's not overheating, your compression ratio is not hot, too high, and it's still not pumping. Before you cut out the compressor, that is a normally closed solenoid valve. So when it energizes, it opens up and bypasses the discharge. So if you crimp that line and you know 100% there is no um, uh, flow going through. This is just a test before you're going to cut out the compressor, right? And it starts pumping. You know that something's potentially jammed in that solenoid, right? That's a really there good idea. A, That's a really good idea. And right. there is a, there is a tool for that. There's actually I don't remember. I used to have one, but it busted. It's kind of like a, a set of vice grips, but it's actually yep. a, cr a crimping tool where you can crimp down on the line and close it close it up 100%. Yep. That that's a great yeah, idea. And I've talked to a few guys because you want to do really everything you can before you cut out a compressor. Yeah. Um, and if you you know all those other steps we talked about are, are good, uh, try that, right? And then if it engages, then you know it, there was an issue uh, with the so something could have got jammed in it. There is an inlet screen on it to to try to help protect stuff get in there, mm -hmm. uh, and that's for the piston type or or, or the external piping mount. Now for our larger uh, compressors, what's cool about those? You can actually um, uh, pump out the uh, pump down the compressor, you know, remove the the gas from that compressor properly, evacuate it properly, and then you can take that solenoid off and pull it out and uh, clean any dirt that could have got in there if there's any copper pieces or anything like that, and look at the solenoid itself and then install it back in. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Hello, are you there? <laughs> okay, because yeah, I was getting a little distortion there. Um, yes, because when we pulled it out, there was actually like a pretty long screen. Um, it looked, I, I, 
yeah um that was there the screen was was clean but i don't know if it was maybe just some some oil or something that broke down or some sludge that got up in there and wouldn't allow it to move but man once we changed that thing everything was good it was just like it was like hallelujah like we we find it was, i felt like uh the, the the first day i fixed the my first unit ever i <laughs> three trips to york in one day i changed a gas valve a mercury switch and something else like a pilot assembly three different trips back to york and the last part i put in the thing fired up it was 4 30 in the afternoon it was like giving myself fist bumps that's that's the way it felt yeah. <laughs> that day because it, it was finally fixed but that that is such a good idea is crimping that line closing that line off and now you're taking away um the potential for those scrolls to separate so they should be engaged and the and it should pump and if it doesn't at that point then you know your compressor has probably got an issue right yeah because if you don't put that solenoid on there at all it's just a really a fixed compressor yeah exactly just a yeah. standard fixed compressor right yeah um, yeah one tip for all the listeners though if they if anyone has our application engineering bulletin app they can go into the search function and just write digital in and it will come up with every engineering bulletin that we've developed for all our different uh digital scroll compressors so our refrigeration digital scrolls our ac digital scrolls and our uh, semi-hermetic digital scrolls and it will exactly tell you how to install them how to maintenance them how to service these compressors um, for an example i'll just give you one number now just to help some of your listeners out for our three to 15 ton ac scrolls uh, the ae bulletin would be called ae4 1395 um, and so when i do a lot of troubleshooting with uh, with mechanics across the country is i actually i get the model number of that compressor that they have the full model number and then i go right into the bulletin and 98 percent of the time i get the answer out of the, the engineering bulletin for the mechanic wow and, so, and and what's that app called again for everybody it's called uh a ae bulletins ae bulletins so, yeah yeah and then i it on uh, apple or android sorry uh, yeah, Android at the the Play Store, and and that reminded me of something too. When you were talking about the model number of the digital scroll, uh, what what is the name of the other app for for everybody where you can actually scan the barcode on that and get all the compressor information? Uh, that's called Copeland Mobile. It's a it's actually an unbelievable app. If you work on Copeland compressors, you need this app. Uh, we actually updated it again today, adding new features. We just added this feature called uh, dynamic performance which is a super cool feature you can put your uh, your capacities in there of your system and of that compressor after you scan it and it will the new feature will tell you exactly what that discharge uh, temperature will be on the discharge line i thought that was so cool yeah that, you that know, is cool yeah yeah so and uh, a lot of troubleshooting um uh guides in that app as well step-by-step uh, -step troubleshooting guides where you put in your suction pressure, your discharge pressure, and your amps, and it will tell you if that compressor is running um, in normal operating conditions, which is cool. So That, that is pretty cool, yeah. Um, because <laughs> when I was an apprentice in, in the field uh, starting out, um, an app like that would have been so helpful because 
trying to get a hold of somebody to help you that wants to help you uh, when you're coming through the ranks is sometimes tough because everybody's busy or sometimes they don't want to help. And if you have an app like that to kind of put you in the right direction, I mean, why not use it just um, to help yourself out a little bit, right? 100%. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't give you and doesn't give you the exact answers, but it's a guide. It's not like I'm going to start with the TX files. You know what yeah. I mean? It, yeah. It's you an idea of what to, what to look at. So. It's, not, it's not like homeowner Bob can just, put it in and go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this now, right? <laughs> watch, watch a YouTube video and change his compressor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to, you got to still be somewhat educated on the, the whole process. So that, that is pretty cool, man. Um, any other apps or, or any cool stuff coming out of Emerson right now? Yeah, we have, um, well, really I'm trying to get people on really the Copeland mobile and uh, AE Bolton apps. We have quite a few other great ones, like the um, White Rogers one is WR Mobile, where it'll give you all the installation manuals of all our uh, heating and cooling controls. So sizing TXLs, if you have some listeners that size solenoid valves, filter dryers, all that stuff, um, a great app, uh, as well as our HVAC Fall Finder. So it's a troubleshooting app. If you have either CoreSense or you don't have CoreSense, so you put in uh, information and the app, it's step-by-step, step. it's like a flow chart. It asks you a bunch of different questions and you get to a point where we will help tell you replace the compressor or don't replace the compressor, look for a system-related issue, right? And guide you all the way through, which is super cool. That's an app I wish I had when, when I first started out for sure. Oh, I know. I, I mean, to, to be a young tech these days, um, you have to take advantage of the internet. You, you really, really do. All the apps that are out there. Um, and then I hear the older guys, that the young techs got to put their phones away. Yes, I agree. Put your phones away if you're going to be texting, if you're going to be Snapchatting, whatever. But if you're using your phone to receive information to help you on your job, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, and actually, I, I was mentioning Rick to you. Um, when he was at the Educators Conference, he went and, and sat in a course where they were kind of talking about how young kids receive and, and take in information these days. And one of the things that Rick started doing was getting the kids to pull out their phones in class to look things up or to watch videos just so they could get that fixed with their phone so they weren't taking it out and looking at it when he was teaching, like, getting off subject on their phone they're actually he was actually implementing their phones in class which yeah. is a, which is a really cool thing yeah that's perfect i do that every course i i train now i get guys to get me answers on their phone right um because i know they're using it why not embrace it right and there's yeah. lots of cool things that emerson has developed that guys can use on a daily basis um, like some of the apps we talked about earlier. So it's pretty cool. Awesome, man. Okay. Well, do you have any other tips for us on digital scrolls or, uh, yeah, think- so, so for sure for digital scrolls, um, a lot of, a lot of people when they come up to them, um, they're like, Oh, that compressor kind of sounds weird. It is going to sound different. So when it loads and unloads, this is a good one. (laughs) Yeah. So when it loads and unloads, it's gonna make different sounds. 
because what happens when they separate axially by one uh, one mil, uh, the scrolls we call them scroll flanks. That's just the sidewall. They'll they kind of tap each other, and that's why they increase in uh, the sound a little bit. So so while it's still spinning around, it, while it's orbiting, sorry, while it's orbiting, uh, so it's kind of like tinging together a little bit, but it, it increases the sound. So when it go, it it ramps up a little bit, and then unloads, loads, unloads, loads. Another thing, another tip is when they put an amp clamp on and it loads and unloads. A quick example is it could be fully loaded at uh, 12 amps. When it unloads, it might only be eight amps. Yep. Okay, so very important. So when you put it on, because you'd look at that load and unload, and all of a sudden you'd be like, my amps are jumping all over the place. But they're not. That's supposed to happen because there's no load on the compressor at that at that point. Yeah. And then just, just to clarify, the voltage applied to the compressor will always stay constant because it's not a VFD. It's a, it, the motor is running That's full right. tilt, full tilt the whole time. Yeah. 100%. The big difference between digital and like variable speed is that yes, the voltage will stay the same, but the mass flow stays the same on a digital where when you're talking variable speed and we do sell variable speed compressors as it ramps up and ramps down, your mass flow starts to change. Uh-huh. Then you could potentially get into oil issues with a variable speed if it runs really at a really low RPM for a lo- long period of time. One of the biggest questions I get from mechanics doing training is like, well, you just have oil issues. Well, it is fully, I let everybody know, it's fully engaged, fully loaded when those scroll set seat are made together. So just be aware of that. I haven't come across an oil issue uh, that I'm aware of yet uh, on that. Another tip, if guys are using multiple evaporator applications with a digital scroll and they're using TX valves, they have to be aware that you're not going to be able to check superheat while the compressor is loading and unloading. You have to fully load the compressor and set your superheat on those TX valves accordingly. Okay? Um, That's very, very important because... If it's loading and unloading, as you know, we just talked about, Gary, your pressure is going to change quite a bit. Um, so you have to fully load that compressor. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because that is one of the issues um, I have with, with one of these. Um, so I have a building. There's four um, custom-built machines um, for pharmaceutical clean rooms. Each one has a digital scroll in it. And basically what they're doing is maintaining discharge air temp down into the room to keep it constant. Um, So if I get a call that it's acting up a little bit and it's loading and unloading, I can't send it um, or send the 10 volts DC to fully load it up because I can't overcool the room. I have to keep it at that steady loading and unloading to keep that kind of, that maintenance, that room, room temperature to maintain it. So in that case, how the hell am I supposed to troubleshoot what's going on? If it's loading and unloading, I can't, can I? No, the, you, you really will have to load that compressor up um, to really understand because at that point you can set everything up properly, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, ha- you have to load it up to set if it's a TX valve. Um, with electronic valves, like I said, in Canada we sell mostly electronic valves with our digital uh, digital compressors. 
with the EC3D72, which makes it a, a bit easier to troubleshoot, uh, I find. Um, but I have quite a bit of experience with it. Most of the contractors that work on them that have a lot of experience with them, um, they find it's easy, but it's, you know, like you talked about earlier, you just have to get through it the first or second time and get an understanding. The big thing is, Gary, read those application engineering bulletins on digital compressors, and it will clear up so much stuff um, when, when working on the equipment. And I recommend that on any new product anyone works on, read the manual from yeah. start to finish. Yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's very important to read the manual. And I, I found that out. I, I mean, that's kicked me in the ass a few times where you, you kind of get you kind of get complacent. I oh, I've changed a million of these, but maybe something has changed, right? So reading the manual is is super super important. And and I used to do that with. Um, I actually just read one of my old articles because I was going to post it today, but I actually forgot. And one of the things that I put in that article is what my boss had told me way back when. And and he said, if you want to be smarter than everybody else in this trade, when a part fails, don't just throw it in the garbage. Take take it apart. Look inside of it. See what went wrong. Um, read the manual. If, if you're changing uh, an ignition module or whatever, even though you've changed a million of them, it comes with a little manual, a little piece of paper, documentation. Take it out and read it. You might find something in there that you learn from, right? Um, yeah. and, and one thing that I did with you guys when I, when I came over to, uh, to the training course about a year, maybe it's all, man, almost, is it last year? I think it was last year. Um, we cut that scroll. We cut the, the top off that scroll and we looked inside of it and not a lot of guys do stuff like that. And I understand time is a, uh, time is not on your side sometimes. So sometimes you got to do it on your own time. If you want to learn that you really do. Uh, if you want to be a good mechanic today and all the good mechanics that I know, and I know hundreds of amazing mechanics, they spend a lot of time on their own time learning about refrigeration because they love it. They tear apart controllers, compressors, valves, right? You want to be an expert in this field. You, you need to do a lot of work on your own. Um, and that's, to be honest, I do, just like you, a lot of stuff uh, to just to learn to be better at my job, right? So, yeah, you have career. to. Yeah, you have to, because when you go to work, I mean, nobody nobody gets up in the morning and says, ah, oh, I want to be average today. Well, maybe some do. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But, but the, the goal is to wake up and want to be the best at whatever you're doing, and that to be the best, you have to put in the extra time. Um, and like, like I said, one of the things you can do on your own is taking things apart, even if it's just a small relay. Um, 100%. I, know, I know cutting the top off a compressor is time consuming potentially. Um, but you know, I, I cut the top off of a compressor in the summer and, um, and I actually saw finally what the relief valve looks like in a scroll that relieves pressure when the, that the discharge line might get up there too much and it relieves to the suction. It's just like a little spring loaded valve inside of it. Right. Yep. So it's uh, depending on the model, if it's a high pressure, uh, scroll like, um, 410, yeah. it will have a differential pressure of, I believe it's around 625. 
and then our low pressure refrigerant scrolls um, that have the internal relief because not all compressor scroll compressors do. I think it's around uh, 425 plus or minus 50, 50 psi. But yeah, that's the differential, and that can be quite loud if you hear it go off. Oh yeah, it scares scares the crap out of you, and 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 it sounds like the compressor's dying, but um, you just hope that that it resets itself after it goes off. But yeah. I mean, I mean that spring in there is pretty strong. Like I had never seen one before, and I'm glad I did. But that spring tension in that thing is is pretty strong. You pull on it, it snaps back into place with with no issues. Yep. Cool, man. Definitely can. Cool. Uh, okay, well, I've kept you long enough, and uh, I really appreciate you getting back on here and, and doing this well, with I, us. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And and the tip that I took out of this the most is, and I've done this before, to try to pump down a system is pinch the line. Um, I can't believe that I never thought of that when I was struggling with that with that compressor earlier last year or later last year. So yeah, that's, so a, that's let, a tip we can all take with us. Yeah, for sure. Last thing you want to do is cut out of a compressor. And if you do, anybody, if you cut out a compressor, find out why. Because uh, a lot of people say it's a burnout. Well, really, it's an electrical failure. What caused that electrical failure? And 80% of the time, it's a mechanical failure that causes that, right? So if you have a failed compressor, the good mechanics will find out why. And if yeah. they don't they can't figure it out themselves, send it in to Copeland. We will tear it apart and do an inspection for you. Yeah. Yeah. You can't figure it out yourself. Exactly. And then sometimes sometimes you gotta put the new compressor in to find out why, in my experience, because sometimes there could be something else in the system going on with like an accessory, like a hot gas bypass, like the TXV that's acting up, that's causing the compressor to overheat or, you know what I mean? Sometimes you got to put that new, new, that new one in to to find out what the issue is. And a lot of guys walk away from, from that brand new compressor. They, they throw it in, slap it in, get their pressures up to where they want. And then they walk away without doing a further diagnosis on it to find out why it potentially may have, may have failed. Right. Yeah. May have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool, man. All right. Well, um, thanks, man. I appreciate it once again. And um, we got to have you as a reoccurring guest because Emerson's got so much to offer under their belt that I'm I'm sure that we could do this two, three times a year and we could get a lot of info out of you. For sure. Well, thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, um, I appreciate it. And I'm. Um, sure we will talk again soon gary we will Thank man everyone. We, we we will and uh i'll i'll check you out on linkedin awesome as as awesome. usual we'll do that <laughs> okay I man appreciate that have a good one okay see you later okay bye all right so a recap on the compressor the compressor itself, while troubleshooting it, if you walk up to it and it's not pumping, it might be unloaded, okay, because it, it, it loads up um, and then unloads, loads up, then unloads. That's the normal operation. But if you walk up to it and it's kind of unloaded all the time, it's not pumping anything, to avoid the same mistake that I, I made in changing a compressor that potentially had nothing wrong with it, okay, uh, but this was my first real go at 
troubleshooting one of these. And now, because I had that first go, um, I'm pretty confident going back to any scroll, digital scroll compressor now in the future. But you kind of got to have that field experience and that knowledge. But this knowledge kind of is going to help you guys. What Trevor was saying, um, ramp that thing up to 100%. Make it call for 100% cooling. Okay, if it's still unloaded, we got to get rid of the flow that's going from that pipe. If you guys Google it, you'll see what I'm talking about. The pipe coming off the top of the compressor, piped over to the suction with the solenoid valve in between. We got to get rid of the, the flow on that pipe. And we got to seat those scrolls together. Okay, and we can do that by pinching that line off, as Trevor had mentioned. Okay, brilliant, brilliant idea. And there's a pinching tool, like I said, I think even Yellow Jacket makes that pinching tool. Uh, it's just like a set of vice grips. Okay. You clamp them down on the pipe and it kinks it so there's no flow. So once you've done those two things, and if you still have no pumping action going on that compressor, then most likely that compressor now has failed. But let's take these steps and these actions to verify first. That was a great podcast, guys. I learned tons. Digital scrolls, I hope you guys are a lot more confident on them. Confident on them going forward. I'm out, guys. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe. Happy HVACing.